Kristen, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Lots for us to chat about today. I'm pumped. Yeah, thank you so much, Lewis. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I think the primary catalyst for, let's say, how we got connected is your third book coming out. And I know you had various reasons for publishing your first book and your second book, right? Some of that was maybe you had an aspiration earlier in life to be an author. And obviously, to experience that, you have to publish a book. And then to keep going, you got more stuff to say. So what was it for this current book that you felt like, I need to do this yet again? I've already been the author, I've done that thing, but like, there's still more to say. A new book has to happen. Yeah. So are you talking about the Three Minute Happiness Journal? Well, that was your first book, I believe. Yeah. So um, the first one, Three Minute Positivity Journal, and then The Comfort Zone. And the third book actually happened because when I signed with the publisher, they're like, hey, let's just do two in this deal, right? Because my audience, they were, the journal was 60 days and they were like, this go, I go through this so quickly that I want more. And so I gave them a 90 day book that has a shorter intro and then more entries. So they do a morning and evening entry. And there's so many dedicated fans. I mean, I've gotten messages, people are on like their fifth or sixth book and they super appreciated just having more. And 90 was about the max amount I could do. Yeah, you don't want to ship people like dictionaries or Yeah, and totally. You're trying to like truck it around, you know, wherever you go. And two a day is like 180. <laughs> but um, the comfort zone is definitely like the book book. And I really share a lot of my life story and what happened to me at rock bottom. And then how I rebuilt my life and created a thriving business because it all really happened at the same time. And so over the years, I'm like, I'm convinced that this works and that other people are doing it and they don't even realize it. And I want to help people be able to do what I did for themselves so that they can enjoy the journey instead of just kind of working to eventually enjoy themselves, right? Most of the people kind of, sacrifice comfort to eventually be comfortable, but never really get there. Yeah. A question I had for you, I think the subtitle of the book or one of the, the promises is less stress and more flow. And I think a lot of people have a trust issue where they're like, okay, it's, there's a letting go and there's a lot of like belief and you're like, I'm going to work less and things are going to be better. I'm already working with slim margins here in terms of whether that's a financial margin or there's one client away from or one customer away or one cancellate. Like there's, there's not a lot of room to just like people aren't working as hard as they're working because they think that in their head that I could work less and things would be fine. How do you persuade people to kind of like take that jump or that leap of faith? Yeah, you know, the logical brain is like work as much as you can, as long as you can, but your physical body cannot go forever that way. And burnout is definitely inevitable. And I love the science behind kind of working more in the flow state because we're working less, but then we're achieving so much more. When our bodies are in a flow state, our fight or flight is basically dormant at that time. And so we can be more productive. We can achieve more. We can um, have self-mastery. You know, whenever you're sitting there and you're like, hours are going by and you're like, oh, I didn't even realize because you're just so in the zone of what you're doing and so focused. And so it's really about applying less effort and getting more results. And so I started doing that in almost everything. And it really makes sense because if we are in this triggered state and we're overworking, 
we're going to we're going to accomplish things, but not to our full potential. Yeah, I think that and maybe this is a bit tangential and, you know, I'm very much a logic minded person often. And I think I was telling you before we got started that what my business does is, is analytics. But I was looking, you know, at your page, uh, both your personal Instagram and the power of positivity is branded Instagram and looking through just different reels and kind of seeing like, what is the things you've said that have, you know, everything's popular because you have a big account, but like what's really taken off. And what that makes me think of is just people haven't fully come to grip, like grasp the distribution of outcomes. So for, for you, for example, if you publish something that takes, you know, twice as much effort, there's just a, pot- a t- potential that it could meet, reach like a hundred million people because your potential for going viral is so high when you have such a big distribution. So you're just, you know, one person could be like, I'm just going to publish something every day, whether or not it's good. I just need to publish more and more and more and more, which is like one approach. It's like shots on goal, probability, whatever. But when you already have this kind of distribution of outcomes where one clip could literally get more than a thousand times or one really good post that takes off and get more than 10,000 times. It's like not what one hour is not equal to another hour of effort. And just like the, the disconnection between time in and outcomes is so astronomically exponential. I don't know if that was a word vomit or not, but when you explain it in those logical terms of like, if you make it 10% better because you rested and you were creative and you're having fun and it was actually your best work, it could actually be a hundred times better and be more output than three months straight of making bad stuff because you were tired and forcing it to happen? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, originally we started producing more content because people were like, I love the daily reminders. Like I need the daily reminders. We started on Facebook. And so it was like, you know, I was doing it with a small team. Today we have a much larger team and Different people manage accounts, and so they have different ideas, and we're kind of like, yeah, go ahead and try that idea and see how it works. You know, it's definitely a trial and error type of thing. You never know what people want, but when you consistently post, you can kind of gauge what does better or not, and sometimes it's a good thing, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's triggering someone, right? And you don't want to necessarily trigger someone. For me... I have to try to meet people where they are. And we have such a broad audience that you can never really meet someone, everyone with the same piece of content. And so we try to really vary it. Some people love the um, still photos and then some people just love the reels. And so I really try to create a balance. Um, And then we're kind of known for the way our photos look. (laughs) So it's like, we don't want to get away from that because... I think we have like 30,000 memes in this specific style. So everyone, even if somebody crops, they kind of know that it's from our brand. And yeah, it's interesting when you've been doing it for 14 years, you're like, what's the next level? But oftentimes people want simplicity. And so we give them that. And then we've just been recently really trying to change the way we create content and up-level it in different ways where they still want it. And so we're not investing in something that just kind of drops and doesn't really get very much engagement, if that makes sense. Makes makes perfect sense. I'm curious from, you know, your receipt as a CEO of kind of this wide-reaching media company that, you know, I'm only looking at the Instagram for my research because maybe that's where my habits are most strong or what I feel like most interested in i'm like this is what's going to appeal to me because i'm not like a facebook demographic user and obviously you're everywhere where do you sit in terms of like what are you currently focused on are you just managing a team of creative people that kind of distribute things or are you also like diving into the analytics still or are you still just like 
creating again as a thought leader with publishing new books and new ideas that like this is going to be a new big message that I want to kind of spread across or is it kind of a little bit of everything? Yeah, you really hit it on the um, head there. I really do kind of kind of cover everything. I have an amazing team and each one has their own kind of specialty or creative eye, but I'm still um, usually the one that kind of oversees things and makes those small tweaks. And I kind of like to do that even visually. Um, I'm still very passionate about that. And I will go and respond to fans. I mean, I really get in there as much as I can. I allow my team to do it, but I like to be very hands-on so I can see what's going on, what I see is working, what I want to stop. And so I'm really into all of it. Like I think today I was in Sam Cart, WordPress, Instagram, Facebook. I don't, I'm just in all of the different areas that we are and just kind of reviewing, making sure things are progressing. And I think that's what a CEO does, oftentimes the goal is to get someone under you that can really see what you see. And I'm definitely looking forward to eventually having someone that is able to kind of be a copy of what I'm doing and even be able to take it to that next level. That would be even more amazing. But if you've created something, you really have to be the visionary the whole way through. It almost starts to, if there's an area that I'm not for overseeing, I kind of see it kind of dying off almost in a way. And I have to get back in there and like, oh, wait, you know, let's revive this or let me tweak this or help you with this area. So in terms of, so those are obviously things that it sounds like you still enjoy doing in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's you were saying, oh, today I had to look at log into these 10 tools and it was annoying all this. That was not the tone at all. Are there things kind of in the theme of the book of the comfort zone, right, that you have stepped away from that, like have you kind of just things you just decided in the business? Okay, don't like doing this. I don't like doing the bookkeeping or the admin or the some other pieces that like because it sounds like you have found an area of contribution that makes sense and is energizing. It's where the things in terms of staying in the comfort zone that you kind of stepped away from that let you enjoy day to day even more. Hmm. Definitely some of the emails and busy work, probably. Yeah. And just just the daily posting. So a lot of our team like schedules or they'll look at analytics and kind of report back to me or schedule things in that um, we want to do that I don't like to do as much. I don't really think of that. I just think that the little things that might be tedious, but you can't, you don't really need as much creativity for them. If you need a lot of creativity, like I'm totally in and I at least want to like check it out and give feedback. But there are a lot of people on our team that are um, much more creative than me. And it's fun to kind of watch them and guide them, but then see them come up with something that's even better than I would do. That makes a lot of sense. I want to talk about some of the additional practices you talk about in the book. I think before doing that, actually, the framework might be helpful of the three zones of living. Mm, so like, what are yes. the, just so we have like a landscape of, in terms of comparing things, like let's start explaining that and then maybe we can get into the actual practices from that framework. Yeah, I, everyone loves to hear about the three zones of living, but we're all living in one of those three zones. And the important part is wherever we spend the most time in determines the quality of our life. So the first zone is the survival zone. And this is kind of our hustle culture today. Just more action will bring better results. And the more we work, you know, the better the, you know, better the outcome. But the thing is, is that 
we're human beings and we're not robots and we have limits. And early on in our life, we can try to hustle as much as we want to, but eventually we're going to burn ourselves out if we don't prioritize self-care, rest, balance, connection with others. And when you're in that grind, you're literally just trying to make it one day to the next. Sometimes you might have success, but it's going to be fleeting. And I've spent over half of my life here because I've always wanted to have success and I would do whatever it takes. So I had very limiting beliefs around what it would take for success and downtime and self-care was not really a part of that because it wouldn't really move the needle as far as like business. So, um, I mean, you can really apply it to any area of your life, but if you feel like you're just trying to make it day by day, you definitely probably are in the survival zone. The second is the complacent zone. And oftentimes people are in the survival zone for so long that they end up in the complacent zone. And this is kind of where you aren't really caring so much about the results, or maybe you're unhappy at a job and you're just kind of making it from one day to the next, but with very little effort. So survival zone, a lot of effort trying to make it work complacent zone, you're just kind of nearly, you know, giving up almost or not really caring. Nothing's really bringing you joy. And for me, this is when I was at rock bottom after I had burned myself out so many times in the survival zone, trying to make things work just through effort. The third zone is the comfort zone. And I kind of define this a little differently. Because comfort should be a good word. It's not something that we should, you know, stay away from or shame ourselves for desiring because it's, it's innate. We want to enjoy our life. And so the comfort zone is really where you can discover your purpose, your life purpose, and you can access feelings of joy and creativity and, you know, all of those good feelings. You, Take time for self-care. You also take time for action, but you're doing things in with inspired action. You're doing things you love. You're doing things you want to. In the comfort zone, you set healthy boundaries. So you'll say no when you mean no. You're not going to just let people walk all over you or just, you know, push yourself to your very limits. It's a very balanced way of living. And I created this definition through always going through bouts of burnout or depression and anxiety and panic attacks. The one that we, the goal is really to spend the most time in the comfort zone. This is where we're going to create the most fulfillment and the most success. This is where we're going to be able to access flow for our personal life, for our business. And if you like the law of attraction, this is where you're going to be able to attract things to you instead of having to chase or force things to happen. Like you're just going to have synchronicities come up and you're going to be like, wow, I didn't even have to do anything for that. You know, someone's going to call or email and it's going to be like, wow, this is gonna, this just makes my day. I didn't have to chase this. I didn't have to grind. And so it's just a really fun place to be. You also help people kind of identify where they are more objectively with emotional signs. Kind of there's like emotional evidence that you're in one spot or another how do you kind of characterize like the kind of honest self-identification of where you are yeah so 
Number one, don't judge yourself for where you are, but acknowledging it is important and and then accepting it. So if you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling lonely, if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling fearful, you're outside of your comfort zone. And so this society tries to tell us like, oh, you're in your comfort zone when you're feeling like this and you're not taking action. But that's not a comfortable place. And so the goal is really to move the needle to what's going to bring you joy, what's going to bring you fun, what's going to give you some creativity for your day or feelings of love and connection. So the comfort zone is just really all about those pure positive emotions. And then outside of the comfort zone is those negative emotions, which again, it's not bad. They're just signs kind of telling you where you are to get you to where you want to be. What do you think has made the difference in terms of your messaging resonating? Because there's a lot of people, specifically in terms of growing a brand and, and actually building a following, a lot of people, and there's a lot of nuance that you'll probably explain here, have tried to grow brands where they just you know say similar things, maybe not as well, maybe not as consistently, maybe not as clearly, but the ideas of you know being positive and kind of the whole movement, what, why do you think that your brand has grown and experienced growth when so many other people try to do a similar thing and don't see the same results? Wow, that's a really difficult question to answer because I don't know other people, but I can say for myself growing my brand that I did it from a place of no expectation. I started it saying, you know, I would love to create this community of people because, you know, 14 years ago, it didn't really exist. And I loved social media. And so it came from this very beautiful, selfless place. And then as I went along, it it took us four years to even monetize anything because I didn't really have that intention. And when I realized I could do it full time, I was like, oh, I can monetize this and I can do it full time. Yes. You know, And so I feel like if you come from this kind of energy, it's just going to keep coming back. But I also did things like, you know, visualize that power of positivity would be, you know, like a household name, you know, and that I just tried to visualize people having healthier, more positive habits and, and maybe turning off the news and going outside or, you know, hugging someone when they're arguing or, you know, some of these things that are so important to our day-to-day lives that make such a huge difference. I just kind of visualized and really savored these feelings of what I wanted to see in the world and then built my business around that. And so on the website, we talk about not just positive thinking, but building a positive life through the way you eat, through the way you move, through the way you connect with others. And then we also create awareness around things that you need to watch for, you know, around psychology and mental health. And I can't speak for other people, but I think that you don't want to copy what someone else is doing, let other people inspire you, but maybe you're not meant to have a huge social media following. Maybe you're meant to have something else, whatever that is. You just have to tap into your purpose, why you're here, what your gifts are, and then move forward in that. I think that there's a lot of things that people listening will realize that you said that are super helpful there. So first of all, you, you said that you you know had been doing it for four years before monetizing. And like you said, you know you don't know what other people are doing, but I think it's it's safe to say a lot of other people, and I don't have any specific person in mind. It's kind of just a vague idea of other people attempting to do similar things. Don't try, or don't stay in the game that long without trying to monetize. They do try to monetize really early before there's really anything to monetize in a good way. And then the same thing in terms of like 
starting it from a place of you didn't start this because you think, oh, this is a good business idea. You just kind of started it and then, oh, four years in, oh, this is actually a business idea. Like, that's not why you did it. You did it because there's a message to get out there. And that's also going to give you the right enthusiasm and the stamina to keep doing it because you're just not doing it for a shallow motivation. So there's a lot in there, whether you realize it or not, that I think will be helpful for people. Now, I do think it's important to always look up if the domain is available, which I did then, you know, <laughs> like, OK, is, am I allowed to do this? Does somebody already have this name? Um, you know, you do still want to come from that more like that business perspective but also do it with an open heart and a giving heart. And yeah, I think you're right. Some people will give up after a few months or a year. And you really have to think of it as a long game and not a short game. I'm sure there's some businesses out there where you can do it different way. But I feel like if you really want something special, you have to give a lot truly and not expect anything. You mentioned that you visualized a lot of the outcomes you wanted to see or kind of the motivations for doing it. What are the additional mindset tools that you think are critically important either for looking back that made all the difference in you getting to where you are and that you kind of recommend in the book? Wow. In the book, you know, I do just talk about it being a, a mind, body, spirit type of thing. It's really a holistic approach that you have to take into every area of your life and not just to focus on one specific thing. I think that if I could kind of credit part of my success was that I was embodying the things that I was talking about, the articles we were putting out. What I was teaching was what I was learning and then giving back. And you can't teach something or be into something if you're not embracing that and embodying that and becoming that, whatever it is. Because there, I'm sure there's a law somewhere out there that, what is it, law of re reciprocity? Or there's one of those, Bob Proctor talks about all the different laws. And there's got to be something that, that will prevent that. It's going to create resistance because the energy isn't in alignment with what you're doing and who you are. And so alignment is so important. And I talk about it in the book because when you're aligning with yourself and then coming from that place, expanding, you're in your comfort zone, but you're growing and you're leveling up. And so that's where the magic is, but it has to start with yourself and going inward first, and then you'll see the outside, outside change. I think that might be actually the most helpful of all the tips in terms of like if someone's goal arbitrarily was to grow a positivity themed brand it's like you have to people can tell whether it's an energy thing an alignment thing whatever the mechanism is underlying that if you are embodying the thing or not because otherwise you're someone not to listen to right if you're giving the advice for the thing that doesn't seem like you have figured out yet then you're not a good person to give advice on that thing until you are yeah and disclaimer i'm always still figuring it out right? but if you get if you're into it and you're getting better and better and you're helping others get better, that's where the magic is. If you're coming across as positive and happy and vibrant and all these things, then that's kind of all the credibility you need. Obviously, that's a never-ending game, but... Yeah, totally. We'll never be perfect, sense. but progress is key. Would you say that your book, in terms of, I don't know if you're developing kind of like a holistic view of positivity, or if you've kind of come to like a, you know, a, a grand thesis on this is how happiness and positivity and all of these things kind of work in your life and this is the way to do it is that something that you feel like 
that you have? Is the book kind of the manifestation of that? How do you feel about kind of just like an overarching or is it just here's a bunch of like scattered things that all work and doing this is useful and doing this is useful and doing this is useful? Or is there more of like a holistic framework that everything falls into? I really think the comfort zone is the the framework. And even to be more positive in the book, I talk about the rare method. So if you're struggling with a lot of negativity, like I give steps on how to get it out. And then you fill that space with positive energy because oftentimes people are just kind of trying to put it in and they haven't done the work to get it out. And so it is a holistic approach, but it totally works because I'll tell you like a decade and a half ago, I was laying in bed with the choice of, do I give up completely or do I try something new? And I had thought at that point, like I'm a failure. I was hating on myself. I had a very successful business on eBay, which at the time is like Amazon now. eBay was huge back then. And I was a power seller. And I thought, wow, like this is it. Like I'm doing really well. And they shut it down. I couldn't keep up with the orders because again, I was burning myself out. I couldn't keep up. And at that point I thought like, man, I haven't invested in myself. I haven't taken care of myself. I'm giving it all to my business. I'm giving it all to the world and other people. And that's when I literally tried something new and started nourishing myself, coming from a place of within my comfort zone, you know, just to get out of bed, like, okay, I need to feel safe to get out of bed, but I need to expand from this place. And so that's when I started expanding my comfort zone and realizing, like, it's not about getting out of our comfort zone. We've got to grow that. If we want to grow, let's grow our comfort zone. Let's get comfortable with uncomfortable things. Let's get comfortable with as many things as possible so we can rock this human body, right? Who are you learning from right now? Mm. What sources, people kind of continuing to level up and expand your comfort zone? Oh, it's so good. Well, I just went to that Lewis Howes event and there was so many amazing speakers at the Summer of Greatness. And, you know, that's nourishing to be around. I've I'll always loved Louise Hay because she taught me about mirror work and how important it was, you know, because being at rock bottom, you literally don't like anything about yourself. And so her work is just going to be timeless, I think. I will always go back to that. I also what love... What is that for people um, who aren't familiar? Which yeah, is myself um, is people who aren't familiar. Yeah, mirror work is, you know, what you're doing is you kind of, journal about your beliefs about yourself. And so if you feel stuck in your life, you got to address the belief first. And so if you have this, you know, belief that this is hard or I'm not good at this, then what do you actually, how do you want to feel? What do you want to be? And so you create affirmations around how you want to feel, what you want to see in your life. And then you look in the mirror in your own eyes and you say those affirmations. And it can be very emotional at first and hard to do. Like you look at yourself when you're getting ready, but do you say emotional things to yourself? But over time, it's like, yeah, I do rock. I am good at this, whatever it is, you know? And you start to gain this confidence in yourself because you're you're really pouring love into yourself. We're always giving great eye contact to other people. Give it back to ourselves. And so it's very transformative. It's super easy. And it might sound like a um, cocky thing or something, but really most people have very low self-confidence and 
it's a great way to amplify and build that very quickly, actually. I think that it's easy in the sense that you have a mirror, right? There's no go online, purchase this thing. It's just like go in the mirror and do it right now. It's easy in terms of accessible. Maybe the actual activity, you know, has challenges, but there's no like excuse about you don't have what you need to try it literally right now. If you really think about it, it's really the easy, the accessible, free things that are the most important. You know, drink your water, move your body, you know, and sweat and and all of these things that are technically free or easy to access, but we don't think about them as being as important as they really are, you know, sleep even, right? So trying to continuously get out of your comfort zone kind of too often all the time where you are in that survival state, that overwork state is obviously one big mainstream opinion that you have, you know, disagreement with. Are there other things that you think are just equally kind of popular notions that are almost as counterproductive as that one? Just other bad advice that people are just shouting from the mountaintops. You're like, no, stop telling people to do that. They shouldn't be doing that. I think I do get uh, I'm well, I'm personally working on saying anything is hard because if we say it's hard, it will be harder. And so um, I think when you automatically tell someone something's going to be hard, I understand that at first it's necessary so that they don't get into it and be like, oh, wow, I'm going to quit this. But if we can work on making something feel easier, we're going to do it longer. And the best way to do that is just to make it a habit, make it part of yourself, make it part of your lifestyle. But you eventually don't want it to be hard because then if it's always hard, then why are you doing it? Growth is making the hard easier. And so eventually you got to ask yourself like, well, why am I doing this? Um, It should be done with less effort or feel better to me. So I just not crazy about that word per se. (laughs) No, that's a really good one. I think that's a temptation I have a lot, even with a lot of the free accessible habits, right? Like exercise and, and moving, people are like, okay, well, the only option is to exercise in a difficult way. And then they do it so hard, like they go for a run and it's all out and it's miserable and it's painful because it's, they just don't realize that like you could just do an easier thing that's sustainable. And that's what's like going to lead to the enduring benefit. Yeah. In the book, I, I talk about acclimation, the process of growth. And so in the beginning, when you're trying something new, it's going to be unfamiliar and uncomfortable. And that's okay. It's just like stretching your muscles. You have a sore muscle, stretch a little bit. It's a little uncomfortable, but it's going to provide so much relief. So there's three stages really to this growth process. And so at first, like I said, uncomfortable and unfamiliar. But then it starts to be more familiar to you as you do it through repetition. Then you're still a little uncomfortable. But the goal is really to get to the third level. And that's where you're familiar with it and you're comfortable with it. That's where mastery is. So oftentimes we go to that first level, we either kind of stay stuck in that or we give up, but we need to make it to that third level. And that's how people master things. That's when people are in the flow and when they do something and it looks so easy or just so impressive, like they've stayed at that third level for so long consistently that it's just part of who they are. And if whatever we want to do, if we can go through those three stages and then really master that third one, we can really do anything. One thing I heard you say earlier that surprised me 
saying like, I love social media. And then you kind of went on to say something in addition to that. I think a lot of people don't feel that way. A lot of people hate, would say, oh, I hate social media. It's so toxic. It's um, so distracting. It's a waste of time. How is it that you've created a relationship with social media where you feel that way, where it is actually positive? Maybe you have like rules around it, but that's something I don't hear all the time where sounds like I love social media. It's a positive role. It plays a positive role in my life. Like I wouldn't, if you pulled a lot of people, surveyed a hundred people, I don't think, I don't know what number would say that, but a lot of people would have a strong opposite feeling, but maybe you've just have some practices that made it less destructive and net positive. I mean, I guess I could revisit quickly about the history of me being on social media. I was in a small town, very small, rural. And when social media first came out, I was 14 years old. And so to me, I was like, oh my gosh, I can talk to anyone on here. This is incredible. You know, I could meet someone halfway across the world. And I did. I met people from China and, you know, LA and just places that I can't go at 14 years old, you know, back then very easily. And I was just able to connect with people in such a deep way that I was like, this is the future. And, and I still keep that kind of mantra inside that this is a way that I can connect with people. Even this past weekend, I had met so many people on social media and then I got to meet them in real life. And it was like, I had already known them because I had already developed a connection with them in social, on social media. So I think it's important to create a healthy balance not to compare yourself to other people, only use, you know, other accounts maybe as inspiration. And if you come at it from that perspective, that this is a way that we're all connecting, that that can make it feel more positive. Yeah, I think that we forget the, especially, you know, in my generation, like the underlying kind of miracle of it in terms of just it's something we take for granted. So we don't appreciate the things about it that are very cool. I was listening to another podcast with this uh, person named David Senra, and he has a podcast called The Founders Podcast. It's very good. I've uh, only recently started getting into it. And his whole thing is, you know, podcasting didn't exist until he was 25. And so now his, it came out, he realized how cool it is. And he's just like, this thing's a miracle that you can record a conversation and you can listen to it anytime, any place. It doesn't matter if they missed the broadcast, if they weren't there, if they don't know the people, if the people have died, like all of these things. And it's the miracle, obviously, because you could record stuff for all of and maybe 50 years before podcasting is just like how it's accessible, right? You don't need a studio. You don't need anything expensive. There's no barriers to it. And thinking through social media kind of through a similar frame of just like for someone with, you know, your background where you grew up in a small town, that still is at the forefront of your mind that when I ask you this question now in your adult life, it's still the same moment of like the magical realization is still like at the forefront of your mind in terms of just like, this is crazy that this is still a thing. Whereas I guess I'm kind of like, this is always been a thing. So I'm just not even appreciating the parts of it that are pretty cool. Yeah, I guess so. I was, <laughs> I'm older. And so I was during the era where it was like, oh, you're going to get kidnapped if you talk to people on there, you know, right? Where people were like, Kristen is just doing some weird things right now. And they were like, um, the website I was on, they were like sending me crest whitening strips and perfumes and like all these things, stickers and badges and things. And my family was like, where is this coming from? What are you doing? Like, this is not good. This is scary. It's so confusing. Yeah. And so I'm like, no, this is amazing, right? Like I'm getting all these free things and I'm connecting with these great people. And I guess it's just the way you look at it, just like anything in life. Exactly. If your Instagram feed is just the power of positivity, it's a very different Instagram feed than 
following a bunch of news channels and a bunch of I don't know. That's that's like that's the easiest target in terms of things that are everyone agrees are mostly negative. True. Absolutely. Though I am trying to get on more media to bring positivity too. And they are more accepting and I'm very grateful for that. That makes sense. I think also you have something like you have enough social proof behind your movement, right? Because I think a lot of people are like, I have a good story or I have something positive to share. And then there's just not enough meat to it or they're like, this isn't going to work for us. But like, I think you've thought through things enough and then have enough credibility where it's like, no, this packs enough punch to be a story for the other thing. Because they don't intend to be that way either. I think in terms of like the empathy, it's like they're not, the people would love to have something good to say if someone just comes to them with something good to say. Yeah, totally. If people don't desire the drama and the negativity, then they wouldn't post about it or they wouldn't write about it or they wouldn't feature it. So it's definitely something that we have to progress as society to desire better information and not want to just be entertained or numbed. But that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. Obviously, the power of positivity is not your first business. I'm guessing it's probably also not like your second where there's a million things in the journey between the things that an entrepreneur mentions are like this plot point, this plot point. And then there's so many things that you just don't mention most of the time because sometimes they're just not relevant. And obviously, I think you had figured a lot out by this one. But have there still been challenges, difficulties, big obstacles in the specific like power of positivity um, career arc for you? Hmm. You know, I've done really well with hiring an amazing team. But I definitely could continue to improve to be a better leader internally and to find more talent. Um, that is a, an area I'm continually working on. I think also I've just jumped into the like the speaking realm. So I only have went on stage like twice, but I've definitely worked the last like two to three years mentally um, building up to it. But I know that I can totally improve in that area. And that's only going to help the business so that in time, maybe we can have events, right? That'd be fun. You certainly have enough um, distribution to probably fill a venue. Let's do some more rapid fire, quick questions to kind of wrap up here. Yeah, totally. You mentioned, and we discussed briefly, you know, you've had these visions for the brand uh, kind of while you're building it. Now it's where it is. What are kind of the next set of visions in addition maybe to events that you just mentioned? Oh, I love this question because we are launching are a course. Yeah. And so I really, um, in May, I took the stage at the I Can Do It conference with Hay House. And I really loved teaching in that way. And I'm like, this is like the next level is um, in-person and online teaching. So we're going to have um, the negativity detox where we literally dive in using the rare method and teach our audience how to get the negative out so then we can pour the positive in. And so you're not feeling like you're being like, you know, having toxic positivity or something, right? So that is going to be, that's really exciting. I recorded that in June and we're just finishing up. Um, I was just working on that today. Is there going to be an in-person component to that course? Or is that just kind of getting started with an online distribution? you know, workshops in person down the road for sure around this course and then the comfort zone, because that's what people are asking for. And I'm like, totally, I I love doing this and I just have to plan it now. What are some of the most unexpected things or interesting things about operating a brand with the scale and reach of yours, right? I think I've experienced a couple of interesting things having, you know, a clip here and there go viral, maybe get a hundred thousand views on this, a million views on this, this one time. 
but just consistently reaching so many corners of the world. Cause I don't know like how many countries you have to have like this, the statistics of 50 million followers, you're probably in almost every country in some representation, just truly a global footprint. It's like what interesting things emerge from sitting on top of something at that scale. Wow. I mean, that's how I got my book deals, you know, and yesterday I just found out they published it in Polish, which was such a cool surprise. I didn't even realize. I think just getting the comments and the feedbacks all around the world from people of all different ethnicities and backgrounds saying, you know, you really helped me in a dark place or you're changing my life or your concepts are just mind blowing. I'm excited to apply them. Just feels so good to know that using social media, I can influence people all around the globe and I'm grateful and then they're grateful. So it's just this cool, positive feedback loop that I just love. Very cool. If you had to kind of distill, obviously every person's at a different place and you don't know who's listening to this because one person listening to this could be in a super positive state and they're happy when they started. Now they're just a little happier when they finish and some maybe was down at the beginning of this and still kind of like skeptical, but if there's just like one daily exercise or even a one one time exercise that you had to pick from your whole arsenal that you're like, this would be really helpful for, I don't know who you are, what position of life you're in, but this is always helpful to try. What would you say? Something that maybe takes less than 10 minutes. I'm such a dreamer. And one of my favorite things is visualizing. So getting meditating and just getting into this state where You can see what's ahead or at least savor it and feel it. Know that it's coming. Know that you're going to step into that and feeling like, what does that look like? What does the environment look like? What are you wearing? Who are you around? Like what kind of numbers are out there in in the ethers and, and where, like, where do you live? Like all the things, the really minute details, let yourself think big because things won't happen if you don't go there in imagination. You have to be a child in in that moment and and think of things that might sound ridiculous to someone else, but they feel good to you and just kind of savor and sit into that because it might seem pointless and it might seem silly, but that gets things moving. That allows things to come to you, opportunities that you can say yes to that you wouldn't even have to go out and get on your own. It just really gets everything in motion, I would say, first. Of course, action is important, but you have to visualize and think about it first. I think that's great. I was listening to that same podcast, different episode. It's called Founders, and it was like a profile of Christopher Nolan. And it was talking about how he's, you know, he's the, for people who don't know, he's the guy who made Inception. He uh, made Oppenheimer, which just came out. And so obviously, hyper-creative person, lots of big and interesting ideas. And apparently, he's like, fully analog, like doesn't have a phone, doesn't have any email. And the reason is that he says his imag- those things just he found that they made his imagination less strong. And his whole career depends on having a really strong, you know, top 1% of 1% of 1% imagination skills. So that's just an interesting kind of synchronicity of that was the podcast I was listening to on the bike to work today. The Ooh. whole like message or what stuck out to me most was him purposely doing these massively inconvenient things to protect his ability to have a strong imagination and to protect that skill. Wow, I love that. I'm going to have to look more into things that can affect your imagination and creativity. I love that because that is definitely one of the biggest things that I love to do. Yeah, I think that's a great that's a great piece of advice and something that people should act on. 
if they're listening, if you get, if you got the 40 minutes to, to get here in the episode, you got the 10 minutes to close your eyes again, visualization, imagination accessible, just literally wherever you are, maybe not wherever you are for driving or whatever, but like <laughs> you can, you can, you don't need to buy anything to close your eyes and have quiet space. You just find somewhere quiet and close your eyes. And that's the thing. I love that all of the, everything we've suggested is just literally not special in the sense that there's no complicated rituals or supplements or whatever, just like close your eyes or look in a mirror, close your eyes, open your eyes, whatever. But it's simple stuff. Just it it doesn't have to be that hard. Things that just take time and consistency. And so you have to schedule that in or it's not going to happen. That's uh, that's a good point too. Well, this has been a really, really fun conversation. Very positive. I'm sure you you get that a lot. Uh, Where are the, the specific names of the brands of the different places? So what's best for various people? The book, I believe it's already out on Amazon. Or probably mm-hmm. will be by the time we publish if, if it's not, or I can do my back end magic to make that happen. Yeah, the two yeah, Instagram. Yeah, the sorry. The two in- Instagram accounts, Power of Positivity and Positive Kristen, all the links are in there. If you want to know more, check out our content. Perfect. Thanks so much, Kristen. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Lewis.